What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Flamethrower, Shireen here. I'm so excited about this week's episode. Today, Lindsay, Brenda, and I will be talking about music and sports, or sportsy music, and sports in music, and music in sports. Um, Before I start, I obviously want to thank our patrons for their generous support, and to remind our new flamethrowers that you can pledge a certain amount monthly in exchange for your contribution. You get access to special rewards. We have really fun stuff happening on the Patreon. We had most recently get to know your co-host, which was a lot of fun. Later this week, Lindsay interviewed Sarah Spain about how she became one of the co-owners of Chicago Red Stars and what goes on in behind the scenes meetings and the bright future of women's sports. But before we get started on all this awesome and I'm in a very dancey mood like super dancey so brace yourselves I just wanted to share and rib off a little bit of the news that we got that the Olympics may be happening without spectators so I'm asking Lindsay and Brenda if someone offered you a spot on an Olympic team which one would you choose and why or why not Bren obviously women's soccer because I would want to hang out with all the women's soccer players because I love soccer. <laughs> so, I mean, and I I know some of the rules. Uh, and I can imagine playing, not at that level, but I can, you know, I mean, I can't imagine getting in a bobsled. That's, that's unimaginable to me. That looks terrifying. So at least I could imagine it. I think that's what I'd sign up for. Lens, what about you? Well, I, my first thing was what what doesn't involve running because I just hate running. I hate it so so so, and I can't like I just am not. I, it just wouldn't happen. I get kicked off very quickly. But I actually think that I could do the basketball team because they have so many good players. Like they're so deep that they really wouldn't need me to do it. Like they would not <laughs> notice if I did nothing. Like soccer, you're down to eighteen. Do you know what I mean? Like that's a that's a tight number. You know what I mean? They might need you on the bench basketball they would not nobody nobody would know nobody would know it would be perfect i thought about this and like the obvious answer is soccer but i changed it because i knew brenda would do it and we need to spread our expertise so burn it all down out through the sports at the olympics so i'm gonna go with archery and no, it's not because I crushed on Legolas, because clearly Aragorn was my crush on Lord of the Rings. I wasn't into the archer. Yeah, I was very, you know, that rugged, mystery, brooding man. That's my type. So, but I don't know what, but also. Versus the entirely some... silent elf. <laughs> so, so, I feel like archery would be Sorry, I feel like archery would be more of my thing. 
Um, I just like shooting things at people that are not guns. So I, I feel like this would work well for me. Also, there's no hijab ban in archery, which would be great. Oh, I wouldn't have to fight the Federation. I didn't know that. One more reason to love archery. When I was in high school, we were able to do archery um, if you were a girl. Because the boys had shot each other so often that they had to go and do something really boring. And I don't remember what it was. And it was like the most fantastic thing ever that we would just like walk back into class. Like, yeah, we just got done with archery. And they were so jealous. So I could totally see getting hyped about that. But but also when I I would also want to join the curling team because that's like a natural thing. I know also women's hockey, but I'm not. I can't even imagine playing women's. I thought hockey we were doing level. summer Olympics. We're doing summer Olympics. We oh, I know, but like you know me, I just I think about this because the winter's not too far off. So we'll talk about this in six months, no problem. Okay, I just have to say I need to gather myself because the idea of Shireen with a bow and arrow. <laughs> is amazing uh it's a little bit it's a little bit terrifying pointer in the right direction uh, though uh we it would you definitely need some handlers so yeah (laughs) so flamethrowers we're getting into music music and sports obviously we're starting with shakita and the Spanish version, because Brenda specifically said she would throw up. Being the resident historian, Brenda, can you take us a little bit through music and sports? So obviously that's a huge topic, and it is a huge <laughs> topic, and it could be many, many episodes. But I think, you know, just to frame it, it's not that every moment or every genre has produced this tight intersection between music and sport or carries the same political meaning, but it is quite often. And there are a couple of interesting things to just think about to frame it, perhaps. Um, Historian Gina Capone has shown how basketball, for example, developed in the same spaces as dances. So basically, um, before and after basketball games were scheduled, there were dances on those same courts that the spectators participated in. So the very development of basketball, for example, happens in tandem and in the same space as those dances. And during the 1930s, the Lindy Hop was a craze, probably nothing that many of us have ever seen, but um, you can YouTube it. (laughs) Um, The Lindy Hop and jazz then the improvisation, the freedom, um, it represented the great migration. And so Capone and lots of others have linked this to the change in basketball and the creation of the jump shot. It was like jumping Jim Crow, jumping out of the South and into Harlem Renaissance. And um, this is a really interesting connection. Samba and football in Brazil are inextricably linked by footwork. So innovation coming out of samba schools uh, in working class neighborhoods in Rio or Salvador were also places where football academies were. Um, And so you can see there 
um, a really tight connection between those two things. Recently, musicians in Brazil have worn the Brazilian national team uniform from the 1970 with different twists to draw comparisons between the dictatorship when Brazil won the World Cup in 1970 and Jair Bolsonaro today and his attempt to create a new dictatorship. So um, it's interesting how certain genres, you know, samba, folk, or corridos, the Mexican historic ballads, rap, Latin trap, lend themselves to preserving popular culture that textbooks don't. You know, they have a lot of lyrics. They reference authorship um, uh, of different, you know, older older rappers, older Latin trap artists, older, older sambistas. Um, and often, you know, they represent really local history and embody the places they come from. So they're both forms of representing histories, local and marginalized, that have been forgotten, and they're making histories in that sense. And the athletes and musicians so clearly inspire one another. So I think it makes sense that as people who love and think about sports, we often find ourselves thinking quite a lot about and through music. That is so awesome. Thank you, Dr. Elsie. I feel like that is just a very comprehensive and just like you said, just touching over. We're clearly not doing super deep dives into this because there's so much content and just what you said. Lindsay, talk to me about impactful sports songs and important ones. And when we think about sports, what do we think about in terms of song and you in particular? So I always think about songs that in other contexts are very cheesy or songs I wouldn't really enjoy, but in the context of sporting events uh, or traditions, um, you know, are very, uh, hold a big place in my heart. And one song I just always (laughs) associate with sports is Sweet Caroline um, by Neil Diamond. It's for multiple reasons. First of all, the Carolina Panthers, Caroline, Caroline, Carolina kind of thing. It's a song that uh, is played at home games. A lot of, you know, I got into sports basically by going to Carolina Panthers home games. And after every win, they blast Sweet Caroline and everyone kind of like sings it as they're leaving the stadium. And it's just like a really happy moment. Um, And it really is gone. Like there's this great video of... um, they were playing it towards the end of one game when Cam Newton was there and Cam Newton's just singing along. And if you know Cam Newton, he's just like the epitome of joy. And so he's just like dancing and singing to Sweet Caroline on the sidelines. And it's just like awesome. Um, Charlotte went on to, I mean, it's a little bit pandemic theater, but I think it did mean something like this summer during um, when the pandemic really first started, I guess in March, the, the Panther Stadium, which is in downtown Charlotte, would blast Sweet Caroline um, during the shift changes um, uh, for like healthcare workers and things like that so that other people could hear it, which, you know, is kind of sweet. Like it, it's pretty like sweet. So, uh, and I also associate that if you're a tennis fan, you know, it's like the Caroline Wozniacki song. <laughs> so, Caroline Wozniacki would always win the New Haven Open. It's had multiple different names, but it's this tournament in Connecticut that happened right before the U.S. Open. And, uh, Sweet Caroline became kind of the track of that because she won the tournament like four years in a row. Um, and it was all of these, what's New Haven, like these Yale bros would like be out there in their polos, like singing to, 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 to like, 
they'd just be filling. You'd have these like polo bros filling the stands. It was very weird, but somehow endearing. And when she retired at the Australian Open, the entire crowd in Melbourne sang the song for her as well. So um, I know I think the Mets do it too. Um, it's just a happy song. And it's just, it's a sweet song. So I know it's a little bit random, but for me, that's kind of like my sports staple of sports joy song. Do you want to sing some bars? Uh, no, no, I really do not. <laughs> Although, oh wait, speaking of great, uh, great little things. So the Panthers, the new owner and coach, like this year, they decided because the crowd, there weren't crowds at games this year, that they would all sing it in the locker room after wins, like the the players. And Robbie Anderson, who we've talked about on this show, because he went viral in the for not knowing who Sir Purr was, you know, the mascot, the Carolina Panthers mascot, if you all remember that clip. Sir Purr, you call him that? Um, uh, but he's like standing in the locker room as everyone's singing Sweet Caroline, and he's looking, he has no idea what the words are. He's looking at his teammates like they have lost their mind. He's just like, how does everybody know this song? Uh, and it's a great, it's a great moment. That's awesome. Um, I'm gonna go next. Um, and I'm going to talk about a couple that I love and that I think of. And I know like soccer and like global football is my thing. I love it. I'm obsessed with it. But there's a couple more that I think are actually really fun to listen to. One, we're going to hit that right now, Ali. Ali's our producer for this episode and simultaneously the DJ. Okay, so you may or may not know this. But I absolutely love Method Man and anything he does. Give me some Method Man. Give me some LL Cool J. Give me some Busta. Give me some Busta Rhymes. Yes, I am perpetually stuck in the 90s, according to Amira, with my music. But this jam is legit and conveniently also called Space Jam. The song is called Hit Em High. It's one of the most hyped songs. It's a lot of fun from the movie Space Jam. So when I think basketball, clearly I'm aging myself. I think of this jam and it makes me feel cool to listen to. My children will arguably tell you differently. Um, there's a couple other pieces in music and history. One of the things that I thought was really cool and thank you very much to our producer, Ali, who actually put together a Spotify list, which we'll be including in the show notes. There was also... Songs when we think about winning and losing, there is the na 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 hey goodbye song, which is really, really fun to listen to. And as a Habs fan growing up, that was the song we sang to the opponents in our living rooms at the TV. Haven't sung it in a while because we're doing real bad this season. But my point is there is a history there with how that happens. And, you know, not just in terms of hype up music, but songs that are really, really connected to the sport itself. Another song when I think of sports, and I would be remiss if I didn't say this, is Darshan. It's one of the songs in the Bend It Like Beckham soundtrack, and it's really pivotal for me. And it was what I had one of those visceral reactions when I saw the film because it's a song that's traditionally used and it's a hype song at South Asian parties, and it's like a Bhangra song, and it's like pure Punjabi beats that are hardcore. And you, you, can, if you don't move to this song, you have no soul. <laughs> So I have a hot take, a little bit of a hot take here right now. The Chariots of Fire music. I don't want to play it because I will fall asleep and I can't do that. Um, I just find it 
I find it boring. I know it's like a symphonic and I get we can talk about the cinematography of it and the, you know, that like the, the I guess it's impactful and it's not impactful. I was bored with this song. I don't want it to be a sports anthem and it is. So those are my thoughts and some songs that I found notable and enough to mention. Brenda, what do you want to talk about in song? My this is this is really hard um to narrow down, but I think the song that's most impactful for me in mixing politics and music is and this is funny because it intersects with you, Shireen, because Busta Rhymes is on it. Um, which is the soundtrack for Rumble in the Jungle um documentary When We Were Kings. And it's the Fugees, and it has Tribe Called Quest. So the combination of those things is unbelievable. And Lauren Hill getting in on a sports rap is amazing. Um, she basically permutates Send Me an Angel in the Morning, that song from like the 80s or 90s, but refers to um, Muhammad as her angel. And um, she has this great line about rocking blue collars, and she's just amazing. And of course, it's also because it's probably my favorite sporting event of all time, October 30th, 1974, Rumble in the Jumble, Jungle, when um, Muhammad Ali reclaims the heavyweight title from George Foreman in Zaire, what is today the DRC, um, being heavily the underdog. And I will tell you that there is Andy Warhol's print of Ali over my bed, which comes straight from Lauren Hill's idea of sending me an angel in the morning. <laughs> so it has obviously affected me deeply, um, in part because in that fight, of course, it's all about, you know, losing to win and strategy and like getting your ass up every morning. Um, ones I hate the most, also for political reasons, is the montage in Rocky Four of Hearts on Fire. Um, hearts on fire. How do you, how do you not, my co-hosts are looking confused. He's running through the snow. He's lifting logs. He has a wheelbarrow full of an African-American trainer and Adrian. Oh, this is the this is the one where he's, he's fighting to the, the Russian. Russian he's dude. taking the picture and crumbling oh, it up, yeah. and it portrays the Soviet Union as being a steroid-filled automaton society, and the U.S. as being this rootsy underdog, and it's absolutely disgusting. And there's the white dude lifting up African Americans and women's as his heart is on fire, and it's just gross. And Rocky's so charming with his rugged U.S. good looks? Question mark that he even has the local police on his side and rooting for him. And so it's about U.S. empire at the end of the Cold War, and it makes me wretch. Which I think is really interesting, because when you talk about Rocky and music, I think of na 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 Well, that's the first one, right? Which has a way different, like, <laughs> um, you know, political bend, right? Yeah. This is post-Rambo, mm. Sylvester Stallone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, fascinating. I can make anything My boring. God. No, just <laughs> No, I I love it, Brenda. You know I'm here for this. Um so one of the things is while we're talking about music and there's also this weird ass video with football and, and, and Sergio God. Ramos that I found. And I texted Brenda. I found it in the middle of a match we were watching. And when we watch football matches, we usually text each other and complain. And this was a fascinating one because it was at the beginning of of, of COVID. 
And because there's reference, they're referencing healthcare workers. And of course, I don't speak Spanish. Brenda does. So I'm like, what are they saying? And Brenda's like, they're literally just talking about how it's important to shake your ass as a Brazilian. I'm like, <laughs> ah, check, check for Enrique Iglesias as yep. super sexist yep. vibe. Yep. Yes. Good. But it's just really interesting because in that video, they have Luis Suarez, they have Messi, and they have Ramos, um, who we don't like. But I'm just saying it's an interesting take on everything and weaving things in and talking at Football League Rumba, which, and it's a catchy song. It's a catchy song. We have it on this this uh, um, playlist. But uh, what I was going to say was, I'm interested to know what floats your boat in terms of music. Lindsay, tell me what song you jam to or like to listen to, because I want to know this just for me. What song do you love to work out to? Okay, I have lots of like cheesy, cheesy um, options here. Um, I'm trying to go. What to go? Uh, I I need a couple. So like my beginning of the workout, like trying to get in a good mood and feel like I actually like doing this shit, are like Lizzo's "Good as Hell." Of course, is just you know ultimate for me good mood, but also um, the. Don't hate me, but like Miley Cyrus party in the USA is a jam and it makes me feel like I'm dancing. I'm dancing. (laughs) Uh, But while I'm in the middle of the athlete, I need in the middle of the thing, I need stuff like uh, Kelly Clarkson, Clarkson stronger, like reminding me what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, you know, is like I'm going. And then also Destiny's Child Survivor is a, um, you know, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to stop now. I really need the very literal lyrics to remind me that it. I'm not going to die because I just feel like I'm going to die. So that that's me. Brenda, what about you? Uh, so I have tons of stuff um, because for running you know i always feel creaky in the beginning and kind of like right um and but i would say all time what has if it was an album it would have no grooves left in it would be um combat baby by metric So with me, there was a couple like lens. I have a bunch. Um, it depends if I'm going to a soccer match and I need like, you know, pump up. I listen to Closer by Tegan and Sarah because I can see myself doing my footwork in my head as they're singing. And Closer is just sort of a metaphor for getting close to defenders and deking around them. So in my head, in the like the the real video of me doing tricks, which doesn't exist, but in my head, I have that there. Also, the song that we used in my family with the kids for ball, for soccer, for whatever pump up was definitely Don't Know by Eminem and 50 Cent. Um, it was, it's just a hype song and gets us going. And then if I'm running, which I don't and I hate, I have this song that I found. It's called Laces Out by UBS. And I love this song. It's a quick, snappy. And when I start a run, which I, again, I don't do often, but if required, this will get me in the mood to do that. And then there's also Enrique Iglesias' Finally Found You because I like the beat. I like the beat. I feel I can run to that beat. Um, I try to avoid running as much as possible, but um, there it is. I Like I said, we will have all of these songs in the Spotify list in the show notes. Um, Brenda, talk to me about music as resistance, because that's another part of this that you mentioned briefly in the introduction. But let's talk a little bit about that. 
Yeah, I think about um, how athletes who, I mean, we've just been talking about how much music gets us hyped up or, you know, might change moods and you have physical reactions to it. And so I guess it's not surprising that it's always been a really important part of athletes' lives. And I think about Chile, for example, right now, redoing their entire constitution (laughs) and um, the ways in which different genres influenced them. So back in the 70s, it was Victor Jara radicalizing Chilean soccer players, Anna Teju today, um, who is a rap artist, is really central to feminists and how they become sort of slogans and then how you can see it manifest like in the Chilean national women's team that will take different lyrics that she has um, or you see them kind of singing Somos Sor, which is pretty, you know, powerful. Lens? Yeah, I always just think of, um, you know, when talking about in arena or, you know, in-person performances, you know, the political statement that Beyonce made at, I think it was Super Bowl 50 in 2016, um, you know, where she played um, uh, homage to the Black Panthers and, um, you know, had the raising the fist. And this is, of course, you know, the year that Colin Kaepernick had been... Um, taking a knee uh, and, you know, not supported at all by the league. Um, And so I just think about how she was able to really, um, you know, bring the black power salute into it. And, um, you know, um, it was it was really powerful. So, uh, you know, get in formation. And um, she also referenced both kind of Hurricane Katrina and, you know, the protest over U.S. um, over the police. Um, And uh, that was a really powerful moment in a sport that does not get, you know, that tries to usually avoid anything. Um, And I think it's probably Beyonce is the only one that could have made that (laughs) made that happen at that moment. Um, and for her to use that stage and use her music in that way um, in front of that audience um, in 2016. I mean, once again, this is five years ago, um, was, was really powerful. I can't believe that was five years ago. It feels like it was just like a couple days ago. Um, one of the things that when I was doing research into this particular episode, I was looking at music in the football culture. And one of the things I thought about in terms of music and how the World Cup uses anthems, and then I thought about co-optation of music. And initially, when Kanan, Canadian Somali artist, came out with Waving Flag, which was very much his music has always been very political, but then it was bought, and then there was something called the Coca-Cola version. And we saw his, um, you know, I know that his song was translated, not translated, but he did duets in Arabic, and he did duets in Spanish and English. And so as much as I enjoy those mashups, I kind of am like, "Eh, you took this really awesome song. But then again, I'm thinking, take all that corporate money, because why not? Brenda, I know you're cringing. But I just think about that. And I think about the way that the world, the corporate world of sport takes songs and takes things. And it also gives me flashbacks that really stress me out about things like um, We Are One, Ole Ola, which Pitbull and J-Lo and somebody else sang, and I'll forever have nightmares about it because I literally don't want Pitbull anywhere near my soccer. I just don't want that to happen. I'm also going to give you a little bit of a, a little bit of a hot, spicy opinion here. 
is that Forza by Nelly Furtado, which was the anthem of 2004 Euros, was one is one of my favorite songs. I absolutely love it. I love it when artists from English speaking countries don't sing in English. I get very happy about that. And so this is one of those situations and one of those times. And the Portuguese version is beautiful. For those of you that don't remember, Portugal ended up winning that year. So that was kind of a thing. Anyways, so in addition to that, there's like many other songs that I think I think about in terms of this. But when we talk about specific events, Lindsay, is there a song in North Carolina that you want to tell us about? Well, I really don't think this is a North Carolina specific thing. <laughs> I just don't. Um, uh, although I was shocked to hear that my um, co-host had never heard of this. But there's part of this cringe for me So is, you know, what I feel like is a lot of sports music, you know, there's a lot of co-opting of, uh, of cultures and un- un- uncomfortableness uh, here. And so I grew up, I don't know that I've even talked about this on the show, but, you know, before I even would go to Panthers games, we had season tickets to the minor league hockey games in Greensboro. Um, so, and we had tickets like right behind the penalty boxes. So like we were like front and center. I loved it. We would just go all the time. It was just, it was my obsession. But if you think regular hockey crowds are white, like the minor league hockey crowds in Greensboro, um, extremely white, right? Just (laughs) very white. And, um, you know, they would always play the Tootsie Roll song, which somehow my co-hosts have never heard of. Uh, Never heard of this. So this is a song for like everyone where um, we were going to, you know, where it's just like all of a sudden it's white people <laughs> on the big screens. You know, that's when they would do the like dance, you know, so it's a bunch of white people doing their interpretation of the dance, the Tootsie Roll and of like black people dancing. And it's just like so uncomfortable. Um, So I always cringe a lot at that. Um, But and this is this is in. Yeah, I mean, it's like the song that you put for like the dance cam. It's just definitely not a North Carolina specific thing, nor is it like a minor league hockey specific thing. Okay, so I feel like I have my finger on the pulse on hockey a little, and I've never heard of this phenomenon. I just, like, I did not think that this was such a, like, specific song. Like, I'm pretty sure this is a bad sports crowd song in general. And honestly, I think the 69 boys, who are the ones who, who, uh, who are responsible for this song, I think they probably wanted that. Like, like, I don't know how you can write this song without really wanting this, but there's something very cringe about this for me uh but in 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 better news was how the swag surfing became the unofficial anthem of the washington mystics during their championship run and that is such a good example of bringing back like older music to like inspire a team and a crowd uh and um i'm gonna we're gonna link that article in the show notes because that was cool and to see the city of dc like and the team embrace like swag surfing of all things is like the official, you know, um, the official anthem of their championship run. That was like, that's like the right marriage. Like that was amazing. 
Um, <laughs> I'm glad that union happened to a degree because so you could talk about it. Um, one of the things that I also wanted to say was when we talk about music, and I don't know if this is resistance, but this gets into idea of sports and identity. And can we talk about hockey songs really without mentioning the ethereal Stompin' Tom Connors and the hockey song? If you don't know this song, do you do hockey? Get ready to rock your world, friends. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. No. It's no. good old hockey game. <laughs> hockey, good old hockey game. This is a grown-up the best song. Thing you can name. <laughs> so, this is literally the anthem that everybody knows. How in the world do Ugh. I, from North Carolina, <laughs> have never heard of that as after my years in minor league hockey circles? And you've never heard of Tootsie Roll. How is this reality right now? Well, this is why this segment is so important, because we can exchange these these notes. And this is Stompin' Tom Connors. He's a folk singer, country singer from Canada. He's a legend actually from PEI and it's just a song that we all love and we think about and he's part of this Canadian very hockey white space culture um all that being said I do know all the words to this song and it's it's pretty fun like I don't do country which is come for a shock for nobody but I appreciate Stomp and Tom I absolutely do um speaking as music as an influencer would be remiss to not talk about basketball and hip-hop and I found a really great article that we'll put in the show notes from Sports Illustrated and it's actually Quavo who I do love um, talking about basketball and music and inspiration and so this is what he says quote with football you're already in armor you're already in a helmet shoulder pads but basketball you just got to express yourself throw on the jersey throw on the sleeve rock the brace and you can see it it's more visual. So it really attracted and really was like a magnet to basketball, hip hop was, end quote. And I just, I love that. I also want a quick clip of LeBron talking about Kendrick Lamar, because I love these cross-cultural exchanges. I love the interwoven discussions that are being had about sports and music and art. And this is very much it. Here is LeBron James on Kendrick Lamar. Is it better than his last one? <laughs> That's a great question, man. Um... I haven't stopped listening to it since since he uh, sent it to me. Uh, I don't even know if that was last week or not before it came out. And um, the guy is an unbelievable talent. Um, his wordplay and his lyrics is unbelievable. And, and it hit home for me at times because I was a kid that grew up in the inner city. And his story of, you know, the the notion of you either play basketball or sell drugs or you got, that's it. You know, and, um, you know, and there's no out. You know, you become a statistic. You know, as an African-American kid growing up in inner city, there's no, they don't believe that you can get out and, and become something. So that's why I'm able to relate to a lot of his lyrics and, re and relate to a lot of his stories, you know. And um, so uh, he's an unbelievable, like I said, unbelievable artist, unbelievable person. And uh, I'm, glad it, I'm glad that he's able to put those words uh, onto a track and then, for all of us to be able to hear it 
And for me, I definitely appreciate it. So, Linz, speaking about music and basketball, talk to me. I love this story from the Wubble, um, the WNBA's form of the bubble last season, where um the DJs came so essentially like one production company was in charge of all of the in you know in game music um and they ended up flying in um DJ Heat who's a Washington Mystics DJ to be the primary DJ and to kind of create home core atmospheres for the tech quote unquote home team because there were still technically home teams during the game um, and the only way that was differentiated was basically on whose kind of sound system, you know, whose sounds were coming out um, from. And I thought that was really cool. And there actually was like, um, you know, there was such a difference between teams. There's a Rike Agumbawale said you, you could tell, you know, whose whose um, sounds they were making, you know, who's what team's favorite songs. Um you know, what was going on. And it's just, you know, we just think of kind of arena music as just being there, right? It's just existing, but it's cultivated. It's part of the experience. And it was, it was an important enough part of the experience that even when you took away the crowds completely um, and we're kind of creating this soundstage environment um, in the middle of COVID, you know, that DJs are brought in to create the music. And I, I love that. Like, I love that that was a non-negotiable part of you know, the game day experience for both people watching and for players um, in-house. And I think it made a huge, huge difference. And for me, I mean, it goes back to the link between all this, right? Like it wasn't, you couldn't create an atmosphere for these games that was anywhere near believable if you didn't have a DJ there, if you didn't have someone um, doing that. So um, one of the things we did do is talk about basketball and DJs. This is a really cool segue for this. We actually interviewed, I interviewed Essence Carson of the then LA Sparks in episode 21. So we were baby, baby podcasters early in the show. And we had Essence Carson on to talk. And she has a beautiful essay that she penned about how music is absolutely embedded and interwoven into her life from a spiritual, emotional, and very physical level. And we'll add that in the show notes as well. So if you want to check out that interview with Essence Carson and basketball and music, please do so, put it in the show notes. Now, when we talk about music and we talk about, you know, sport is often linked to nationality and nationalism. Let's talk about one song that I don't understand for a variety of reasons. It's a Star Spangled Banner. Brenda, let's talk about this, though, with a twist. The Star Spangled Banner is an incredibly difficult song to sing based on Francis Scott Key's poem. Um, So the lyrics are also a little bit strange. People have tried to put different things forward. And yeah, I would say um, the strange thing in and of itself is that the Star Spangled Banner is played when every team is from the U.S. It's... Very odd. I don't know another country (laughs) that has a national anthem played when both teams are from that country and are playing in that country. (laughs) It would perhaps make sense if it was like the New York State song was played versus the Massachusetts State song. But it literally just has made sports a kind of platform. I think that musical rendition... It's actually made it a platform, whether it's 1968 Olympics or, 
you know, or or kneeling. Um, so it's interesting because on the one hand, of course, it was meant to reinforce patriotism. It hasn't always been done in sports games. It's relatively new. And now it's also been used as a platform for social movements. And so this past week with the NBA All-Star Game, I was so happy to see Marvin Gaye's anthem make the rounds again. It's a fascinating song. Can you sing it, Shereen? Do you know the words? I know the Oh Say Can You See part. And then um, Land of the Free and Home of the Brave. I blank out. There's something in between. But um, this particular rendition was really fascinating. So if we can just wind down this convo with this particular one that impressed me to no end. Here's to Marvin Gaye, Always and Forever. Can you see Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit indeed.com slash blue wire to start hiring today. Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And that's just such a beautiful rendition of it. And is it like a straightforward, you know, um, resistance? No, but it was certainly not lost on anybody that it was about, you know, his ongoing involvement in the civil rights movement and that ongoing struggle. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? This is Shireen, and I have struggled with anxiety and depression in the past. I've often turned to counseling and therapy to help me through. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. And there's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. But this service is available for clients worldwide. Flamethrowers, wherever you are, BetterHelp can help you. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy which may not even be possible in a pandemic anyway. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. 
BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read testimonials that are posted there daily. Visit betterhelp.com slash burn, that's better H-E-L-P, and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they have started recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Special offer for Burn It All Down listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash burn. That's betterhelp.com slash B-U-R-N. Yeah, so this week for the interview, I was so, so excited to get to sit down with Sarah Spain, ESPN um, personality. We went over what her exact title is, <laughs> but uh, we talked about how she became one of the co-owners of the Chicago Red Stars in WSL. We talked about kind of what goes on in behind the scenes, uh, well, Zoom meetings now um, with so many owners and just about the bright future of women's sports. I think you're all going to really love, love this conversation. I was thinking to herself how BS it is that women could have the same number of hours and tears and injuries and passion and devotion to something that they love. They can work their entire lives at sport and be done with it and have so little to show for it in terms of both monetary gains and also cachet and power within the sports world compared to their male counterparts. And she was like, this is BS. How do we fix this? What can we do? And you know, part of Abby Wambach's book, Wolfpack, was about if they don't offer you a seat at the table, build a new table. On to everyone's favorite segment, the burn pile. Linz, what are you burning? So we've made it through college basketball season and into what is the NCAA tournament for the men and the women. And um, the men are going to be around, I think, the Indianapolis area. Is that correct? And then the women are going to be in Texas um, and kind of doing bubble-ish type things. It's incredibly concerning and problematic the way that this is rolling out uh, for multiple reasons. And so we just kind of want to put the NCAA back on the burn pile. First of all, conference tournaments, for whatever reason, were not moved up. There was time that all conference tournaments could have been held a full two weeks before the NCAA tournament began. Um, That didn't happen. Now you have teams that have had to pull out of their conference tournaments which conference tournaments don't even really need to happen, but you've had teams pull out of their conference tournaments because of COVID, and now their entire NCAA tournament um, bid is up in the air. And if there had been two weeks, we could have solved that. So that's the first burn thing. But here's what really gets me, is there's so much talk about health and safety. And we talked a little bit about this with the NFL. Whereas, what what do you really mean when you say health and safety? And this will give you some insight. So the Associated Press reported this week that the NCAA has reported that all a team needs to play in this year's NCAA tournament is five healthy players. 
How about a coach? Well, the NCAA will get back to you on that. Um, So there's essentially a possibility where a team could come into a game with all its players, except for five, in COVID protocols, and the team would be allowed to play, even though that means all the players are going to have to play the entire game. And if there's an injury, you're just completely screwed. This is not about health and safety. This is about making money. Um, and we're here. I'm going to watch a tournament. I'm super conflicted about it, but I just want to throw the NCAA on the burn pile for the way they've managed all of this and the way they continue to show that they don't care about player safety. They care about their bottom line. Burn. 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 While we're on NCAA men's basketball, I think it's worth burning – Uh, Michigan State University's recent decision to sign a five-year deal with Rocket Mortgage. Now, Rocket Mortgage is owned by an alumni. They have been a longtime sponsor of the program. The initial press release, and all the details have not been released yet, but last week was, quote, the men's basketball team will now be known throughout the Breslin Center, which is where they play, as... MSU Spartans presented by Rocket Mortgage. So this new extension, according to Michigan State, is nothing new. They released a press statement basically to say this is absolutely par for the course, which means it's totally not. And it's obviously, according to them, about revenue. It's another revenue stream for an athletic department that's projected to lose $75 million, according to itself, due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The university, uh, Michigan State University, which is founded in the mid-19th century, was founded as a place to democratize education as part of the Morrill Act. It was one of the very earliest co-educational institutions. It was supposed to be affordable. It was supposed to be a non-elite place. So maybe a lot of people don't know this, but tons of Secretary of Agricultural um, heads have come from Michigan State. There's tons of large veterinary programs. It is the best place to study African history in the world outside of continental Africa. It also has um, amazing programs that you will never, ever know about because you will only hear about MSU basketball brought to you by Rocket Mortgage. This is, um, I never want to see another dime from the taxpayers in the state of Michigan going to Michigan State. It is criminal that student fees still pay for the athletics program. The Larry Nasser epic, awful tragedy is still out there and still people have not been made accountable for it and still you haven't seen reform. March Madness happens during midterms. These aren't students. This isn't about a university. This is about a corporation. My diploma from Michigan State University is not presented by Rocket Mortgage. It is granted by the state of Michigan and their trustees. And I want to burn every single bit. And this isn't new. No, you're right, Michigan State. It's not new. It's just one more way to commodify something that was supposed to be about giving people an equitable chance at education. And I want to burn it so so much burn. burn. So I will bring us home with this, my burn. So if any of you were on Twitter this week, you saw this huge 
horrible kerfuffle that actually happened because of Myers Leonard, Miami Heat player, and his anti-Semitism. He was playing a video game, and what happened was the words that he used and the language he used was caught live. Now, I'm not going to link to audio because we don't need to share that. It's just you know, re-traumatizing people, and it's incredibly offensive. And then what ended up happening is Leonard issued a statement that he didn't know what the words mean. And we've done, on this show, we've done episodes where we actually talk about how non-apologies exist and how they function. And I just really want to say that not knowing what the words mean, defense, is, is equally as terrible as this is not who I am, apology. And it was just brutal. Anti-Semitism is rooted in white supremacy. And not saying that he didn't know what the words means, means it prevents Leonard from being accountable. And that in itself is another crime. For what he did, Leonard was fined $50,000 and suspended for a week. And I just, I just think that there needs to be more. I think there needs to be more. There needs to be conversations about this. I think there needs to be anti-oppression training and learning and unlearning because this is this was awful. And I want to take all of that. I want to take the way that these systems exist and are they fester in sport. And I want to burn it all down. Burn. Now, after all that, nonsense we want to take some people and lift them up Lindsay, who's first as our sparky of the week want to um, give a shout out to lisa byington who will become the first female play-by-play broadcaster for the men's ncaa tournament brenda who's our firecracker bringing the fuego is graciela pineda nascimento grazi the leading scorer in the south american club championship for women copa libertadores she has thus far the tournament still ongoing scored six goals she turns 40 this month and has played 150 games for corinthians who are defending champions in the tournament and i just want to say she's obviously been wonderful forever but haven't seen her get quite this kind of attention so yay and for our mirchi mirchi of the week which means hot hot india's cricket superstar mithali raj just hit 10,000 runs and that makes her the second highest bats person behind england charlotte edwards these numbers are tremendous and they're huge we've talked about mithali raj on the show before incredible may i have a drum roll please Lindsay, who's our torchbearer? Yeah, our torchbearer is the nearly 550 collegiate athletes from across the nation who signed on to a letter sent to the NCAA last week demanding the NCAA stop holding championships and events in states that have passed or considering passing laws um, that ban transgender women and girls um, for participating in sports aligned with their gender identity. Um, This letter was shepherded by runners from Washington University, um, Junior Aaliyah Shank and Alana Bohar, and our wonderful um, Jessica Luther has a hot take um, with one of them that you can listen to to find out all about the letter. It's just about 10 minutes and is a must listen. Um, But we've talked about how the NCAA really needs to step up here and how important it is for women in sports to stand up and refuse to let these 
Um, politicians and activists use women's sports as an excuse to discriminate. And so this is such an important, important step. Um, it was signed by athletes from at least 85 schools, including places like Duke, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Villanova, Maryland. So these are big dogs. And so congratulate, thank you to those 550 collegiate athletes. And let's let's get this to 550,000 collegiate athletes. This, this demands solidarity across the board. Lindsay, tell me what's good. Um, it's been a while, not lie. It's been a it was a rough week, I think, for a lot of people. This hitting this one year pandemic wall. It was there was um, more drama with my mom this week, and um, it was the anniversary of my grandfather passing. Um, which I was telling people, I think I was so I've been so relieved that he didn't that he passed away right before the pandemic really hit. Right, that I don't think I ever grieved because I was just so grateful that like we got to be there with him. You know, it was like right before the transition. So, anyways, this week was was sucky, but. Um, I think I am in a group that will be allowed to be vaccinated. The vaccines will be opened up to me in the next week here in North Carolina. Um, thanks, BMI. Um, and so, I, you know, I think it'll still be a few weeks before I actually get on the list. But that feels like hope on the horizon. And I'm really excited for that. And um uh, really working on, I've got some projects I'm so excited about, and I'm really, you guys, trying to focus on how the joy I get from my job and not the stress from feeling like I'm going to fail at my job. Does that make sense? So I'm, now, I don't know, I, I haven't really done a podcast since I became a lifestyle guru, since my tweet went viral about um, work-life balance. And so I'm now a lifestyle guru um, and hashtag influencer. Um, and so you'll be getting lots of good nuggets like that from me throughout, you know, the podcast, because I really know that's why you listen. Yeah, that tweet was amazing. And it went so viral. So good. Um, <laughs> it was ridiculous. It was good. It was on point. It resonated with people. And you are have always been an influencer to me, Lindsay Gibbs. Uh, I'm going to go next. I'm going to talk about WandaVision. Uh, I had heard Jess and Emma were talking about it. And then I was like, going to be a coward because I was like, I feel vulnerable these days for all the things Lindsay just mentioned. And I watched it. I binge watched it with Jihad. And then my boys who had already seen it came for the last few episodes. Uh, she, like Jihad knows me very well, my daughter, and she brought me La Durée macaroons. So we sat and ate them. And then we sat around eating and watching. It was a riveting show. I didn't think I'd be that engaged. I've my children love MCU and they love all these things and they know all the ins and outs and I don't. Like I've gone as like the first film I think I cared about was Black Panther, although I do have a mad crush on Captain America and I'm really looking forward to Bucky's film, but then I started getting interested in Ms. Marvel and that storyline and anyway, it was an experience and I'm glad I did it. Thank you for nudging me, Jess. Um I wrote my first book chapter for a book that I'm uh, contributing to, and I was very excited about it because I write for a living, but writing academically is very difficult. Um, I love writing journalistically. I enjoy it tremendously, but academic writing is another level, y'all. So I was really, really proud of myself about that, and I will accept the joy. I just wanted to say 
one last thing. It's been a really tough week here too in Toronto, particularly with the journalist community. The Ryerson School of Journalism is arguably one of the best in this country. And earlier this week, um, on Monday, the associate chair and chair resigned due to calls to action from racialized trans and queer students. And it was really difficult. It's been a tough week. So lots of love and solidarity. I wrote an op-ed in the Toronto Star about this. I am not an RSJ student. I'm actually a student at Ryerson, but I'm a different fac- I'm in a different department. I'm in the radio, television, arts, doing media studies. So those students who have many of whom I've mentored, particularly the racialized ones, they have my solidarity forever. And there's a community of journalists who are looking out for you and holding you up. So always remember that. Anybody out there, B. Um, well, oof. Um, also a hard week, but nonetheless, some things got me through. I would like to say, please, no spoilers. And, um, I guess, uh, uh, an admission that I am not finished with Nomadland yet. Uh, but thus far, I will tonight. Um, but thus far, it's amazing. I always love Francis McDormand. Um, and especially with Amazon workers organizing right now. I think it's just such an important um, subject matter. If I hate the ending, I might retract this, but so far it's what's good. Also, I wasn't on the show last week um, because I was very sore from a half marathon that I ran. And um, I run all the time and I, I, I never really like time myself or um, track it. And usually I hate the concept of a race, you know, uh, but in this case, it was just a group of friends doing it virtually that were trying to motivate one another. So it will motivate me to run if it makes other people run. So we got T-shirts made. We called it Chafing the Dream. Um, it was it was really great. Um, and also shout out to uh, Bernard Downs, one time um, producer Martin Kessler for doing nine miles of it with me. Um, and trying to help me <laughs> keep going. But to all the um, hot moms, M-A-H-W-M-S, Chafing the Dream Team, uh, you were my what's good too. That's amazing. And I just would like to add that Brenda ran voluntarily, and that's respect. Um, <laughs> yes, usually half marathons are volunteer <laughs> basis only. I it, Otherwise, it's like a work camp situation. And that would definitely not yeah. be something in my what's good. <laughs> there, there was a gun to her head. That's what but, it takes uh, to get me to run lens. Um, what are we watching? We are watching the NHL, the NBA, Champs League is still on. We're narrowing down the Women's Champs League. And even though we're recording Sunday morning today, I will be watching the playoffs of the Briar Cup men's curling only because of my friend Claire Hannah. Her partner Kirk is playing for Team Saskatchewan. Yay, curling. That's what we're watching. We're done for this episode and you can find us we're part of the Blue Wire podcast family. Anywhere you find your podcast, please subscribe and rate and let us know what we did well and what we can improve. You can find it us on Facebook and Instagram at Burn It All Down Pod, on Twitter at Burn It Down Pod. You can email us, burnitalldownpod at gmail.com. And check out our website, burnitalldownpod.com, where you'll find previous episodes, transcripts, and a link to our Patreon. We would appreciate you subscribing, sharing, and rating, which helps us do the work we love to do and keep burning what needs to be burned. This episode was produced by Ali Lemer. And thank you to our social media manager, Shelby Weldon. 
We wish you a lot of safety and whatever joys you can muster as we come up one year anniversary of the pandemic. Miss Brenda says, burn on and not out.